going with this. Um, thank you all for joining. Again, here, the call-in show mic drop, normally scheduled for 5, 5.30 on um, Wednesdays, pushed back a little bit because of the craziness of the election cycle. This time we're sitting at 6 p.m. Central. Uh, I am working from abroad for the last week, so I am down uh, out and about traveling. This is uh, somebody mentioned some of the queue and some of the artwork. This is one of my pieces behind me. It just happens to be in um, in the room that I'm in at this moment. That's the only reason that it's there. I promise. Some of you guys who saw some of the Lincoln Project documentary, um, I think, discovered that I paint, uh, learned to paint during kind of crazy election cycles. I like to do something a little bit creative, get out of my head, get outside of the data space a little bit. And of course, usually I'm too anxious to um, to 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 um, to sleep. So I needed something that I could do quietly in the middle of the night that would kind of help bring me some peace and bring me some calm. So um, this is one of my art pieces from probably about 10 years ago. Um, it's a lovely piece, kind of enjoy it a lot. Maybe we'll do a, a separate show uh, when the politics calm down and we'll go over some of the the other art stuff if you guys are uh, so inclined as we kind of start getting towards um, uh, some of the more necessary quality of life stuff after the election cycle, okay? Let me remind me, we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, that'll be part of my commitment. I want to spend today talking about closing arguments, and I'm going to go back to some of the fundamentals that we've been talking about over the course of our time together on Mic Drop over the past few weeks. Um, and I want to talk about what the election cycle seems to be, at least from my perspective, uh, sizing up to be. And if we can do that and get some of your questions answered, um, then hopefully we'll have a good show and a good format to kind of continue on. And we'll talk a little bit about what the show is going to look like post-election cycle because you're probably getting too much Mike Madrid uh, already once a week. Not too sure if that's the pace at which you want to continue on. Uh, we can. We certainly can. Um, I'm really here designed to kind of give you guys sort of the feedback, support, information um, that you guys are looking for or that uh, I think the feedback is that you're giving me. So let's start. let's start with the closing arguments. Okay, and then I'm going to claw back and kind of talk about the traditional trajectory and where we're heading into in this last week. I'm going to start with the Democrats here because tactically and strategically, the party in power has the most difficult time preserving and protecting its current majorities in the Congress and driving a positive message when they control the entire bully pulpit okay, of government. And that's where we have sat for the last two years. Um, it's obviously a place you'd prefer to be be better to be you know, in power than not in power. But politically, it does create for some very slippery, sometimes dangerous terrain because, as we've talked about, negative partisanship, this idea that people are so inclined to vote against things really makes you the target of everything, especially when things aren't necessarily going good. Now, let me be clear about what that means. I'm not suggesting, nor have I ever, that this economy is the fault of Joe Biden or of the Democrats. I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a second. I'm not suggesting now, nor have I ever, that inflation or inflationary pressures are the fault of Joe Biden or of the Democrats. I don't believe that. I don't believe that now. I've, I've never believed that. Okay? But they are here. And when you're in power, regardless of the reasons and the purposes, people are going to blame you if things are bad and you will get credit whether you deserve it or not if things are going good. And at this moment in time, the polling over that most Americans feel that the country headed in the wrong direction. This is one of those fundamentals that we have been concerned about since early January, even late fall, um, 
as the economy started to sour and as we started to see inflation start to pop up, largely because of supply chain issues post-pandemic and working ourselves out of the way of this global economic shutdown. We knew that things were going to take time. We didn't know how much time. There's a lot of evidence that we are sitting on top of a very, very strong economy and that we may actually come roaring back in the early part of next year, the first quarter. There's also some signs that we may dip into a recession, especially as the Fed hits the brakes on the economy by dramatically increasing interest rates. Now, this is not a show about the economy. I have my own views about what they're doing. And candidly, I think I'm in very strong support of what the Fed is doing because I don't think there's anything more dangerous, more acidic to the confidence of a government than inflation and inflationary pressures. It's not something we have really dealt with as Americans for the better part of 40 years. So a lot of us who remember the last time we dealt with an inflationary cycle have either forgotten or chosen to forgotten or there are just too many of us that are too young to actually remember how dangerous, how destructive inflation can actually be to a global economy, to a regional economy, to a domestic economy, but most importantly, to confidence in government, okay? And that's what we're really seeing in the polling overwhelmingly. Now, most subgroups are saying that the economy and inflation are their number one issue. And that is, I think, absolutely the case. I think it's also one of the primary driving issues of the electorate broadly. But here's where it gets interesting, and here where I'm going to duck back down to the Democrats. The Democrats... ...have developed since Dobbs' decision going back into May, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the Uvalde shooting, which dramatically recharacterized in the minds of voters uh, the Republicans outside of the mainstream, and this refrigerator hum, this steady drip on behalf of uh, the January 6th committee, reminding people about some of the extremist elements of the GOP. One of the other fundamentals that I brought up, Stan, I'm getting a, I've got to some feedback that we're getting a connection issue. Is that, is everybody, uh, we're starting to lose sound connection here? Give me thumbs up if you guys can hear me okay. <clears throat> getting a couple thumbs up. There we go. I'm going to keep going. Hayes, I apologize. Let me just kind of keep going. Um, keep updating me, though, because there's no point in me talking if you guys can't hear me, but I'm going to keep going for just a little bit. Um, where was I? Uh, oh, the issues matrix have been breaking towards the Democrats through no conscious effort of their own. What has happened, what has happened is, um, sorry, the, the one other thing about this new format is I can read all of your guys' chats a lot easier than I can on my phone. So it does distract me a little bit more. Good news is I'm reading what you're saying. Bad news is I'm reading what you're saying. So let's kind of try to keep working through those glitches right now. Maybe I'll try to slow down a little bit and talk a little bit at a slower pace. But for the moment, what I want to talk about is the issues matrix that um, that um, has developed outside of the Democrats' conscious um, decision-making process. It's not like anybody actually sat there in the room, in the halls of the uh, Democratic National Headquarters or the, or the DNC uh, or DCCC committees and said, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to have the Supreme Court overturn Roe Wade in order to get our people back in line. That obviously did not happen. That's not what the Democrats were conspiring to do. But like I mentioned, I did not know what we would have be the issues at the forefront of the agenda 
but I knew that we would have some issues pop up. And those issues did pop up. They always do. I'm not saying that I was some, some seer on what was going to happen with these issues. I, I, I can't tell you and could not tell you what the issues would be, but what I could tell you is that there would be issues. That's just simply the way that all of this works, okay? Last time, last 2020 election cycle, no, had no idea that Ruth Bader Ginsburg would pass away in the middle of the election cycle, but she did. There's no way I could have told you that Trump could have gotten COVID, but he did. Those dynamics happen and campaigns have to react to those environments. No, no, not dissimilar to what we've had to deal with now. Okay. And we can talk about the Republicans, especially who I think have done a really good job of pivoting back into a competitive position when the issues started to break very strongly away from them. So the Democrats, I would argue, have done a much better tactical job of keeping in this race and keeping in a, in a competitive position. Okay. I don't think they're in the strongest position, by the way. And my biggest concern is, and I've shared this with you guys from the very beginning, about a week out, seven to 10 days out, I told you, you would start to feel and see, and the polling would reflect a late break one direction or the other. It seems pretty clear to me right now that that break is leaning towards the Republicans. We can talk about how big or whether Mike is full of it or whether you're seeing something different. I want to hear your opinions, but the, the truth of the matter is, I think the evidence is starting to point pretty squarely that the fundamentals of this election cycle, which I have been talking about, and I have been warning about, and I've been guarding about, seem to be coming back into play here, okay? And if it's a, a race in a campaign between fundamentals and current polling, you always go with the fundamentals. It's like they say in a military conflict. If the map that you're following on the battlefield does not match the terrain, you follow the terrain. That's what is real. That's what is, is actual. The map may or may not be wrong. The data that you're seeing from the map may or, or may not be accurate, but you've got to believe your eyes. You have to see and be clear-headed about what the fundamentals of the race are. And the fundamentals in this race have always benefited the Republicans. Okay? Now, I don't think that this year it's going to be as bad as it otherwise might be for the party in power. Okay? You would expect... Any political professional would expect a party that is has complete control of both houses and of the White House and is facing a wrong direction number, 70% and higher, uh, an incumbent who just recently got his popularity back and uh, redistricting with a lot of new races under a lot of new lines and the economy and economic concerns at the top of the, at the, top of the issues matrix, you would suspect that that party was in line to get a simple beatdown, a massive red wave. That does not seem to be developing in any way, shape, or form. And my strong suspicion is that when all the dust is settled, the Republicans will be able to declare victory in these midterms, but they will not be as decisive as they otherwise might be. We're going to talk about some of the potential caveats to that in just a second, okay? Both ways, for the Democratic advantage and the Republican advantage. So those are the Democrats, where the Democrats are sitting at. Republicans, again, I just covered some of this, sit in the fundamental drivings, driver's seat, okay? They are in a much stronger position than the Democrats have been. Wrong direction, right track is strongly headed in the party out of power's direction. Economic concerns, which will get blamed on the incumbent party, leaning strongly in the Republican direction. The historical trend line that benefits the party out of power almost unanimously. I think there's been two exceptions in the past 35, 45 years 
Um, this does not look like a year that is sizing up to be an exception. It, it may have early. It still might. I'm not saying the Democrats can't win majority, but let's talk about those circumstances under which they might. Um, but for the moment, the historical trend line benefits the party out of power. And then, the, again, the, that, that uh, issues matrix. Uh, I've got to, got to keep leaning back on that. Inflation specifically is at top of mind. Is it top of mind, especially for blue-collar workers, which will make up about 60% of the electorate? We're going to talk a little bit about the Hispanic vote in just a second. You guys know I've been harping on that for the better part of the year. There's a reason why. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that because that's going to be determinative, especially in states like Nevada, which is extremely close, and uh, in Arizona, which has tightened up considerably. Uh, Texas, again, we're going to talk about whether that's even in reach or not for Beto. Um, and I want to walk through some of the fundamentals just as a recap of a lot of these races because I think I've been pretty um, um, consistent with the way I've approached those races. I want your feedback to tell me if I have not been. Um, a lot of you guys have looked to me for reassurance during campaigns, and I want to provide that. But I'm also not going to be dishonest with you. I'm going to tell you what I am seeing, and I'm going to give it to you clear. Um, and I'll also tell you what the prognosis of what that could be and what that could mean going forward uh, after the dust settles for the elections. So again, Republicans, I think, are in a better place from a fundamentals perspective, from the strategic positioning. If I had to choose one side to be on or the other to be the winner or the loser, I would choose to be on the Republican side, not because of they're doing anything right per se, but because the fundamentals point to a movement to the party out of power and the Republicans at this point in time are the party out of power. I still am predicting at this point in time that we're probably going to see a majority of the Republicans in the mid to high 20s. That's a little bit stronger for them than I was saying a few weeks ago where I was saying low to mid 20s. I mean, who knows? It could be either. It could be low teens. I think if we start breaking into the 30s, that's a much more successful year than most of us were anticipating. I think that is still very possible, actually, especially if there's a big pickup in California, which seems to possibly be the case. Joe Biden, I think, as you're aware, um, is flying down to North San Diego uh, in an open seat there uh, um, to campaign on behalf of a camp uh, on a Democratic campaign in the suburban northern San Diego periphery. That's a sign. That's a sign that they're concerned about losing some of these suburban seats. That's not good for the Democrats. Uh, we are out a little bit early uh, to start to start feeling a drop with Democratic support, if we start to see that in the next two or three days, you could see a rather big Republican year. I'm not predicting that yet. I'm not seeing that yet. I'm not feeling that yet. But what I am telling you is there is time for that still to happen. We're just going to have to see how significant this shift is that I'm beginning to see in data moving towards the right is and how much of an impact that's going to have on a lot of these races. Okay. Remember again, California is a very late counting state, very late, okay? It may take three weeks, maybe four weeks in seats like Mike Garcia's incumbent congressional seat in Los Angeles County to know the outcome of those races. But if it's going that late and we're still looking at the outcome of those races and most of them have broken towards the Republicans in other parts of the country, it's probably a fair bet to suggest that the advantage is going to be towards the Republicans in those five or six seats that are left in California as well. Okay?
So again, I'm not trying to trying to be the, the downer here, and I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news. I'm not suggesting that it's bad news, at least at this point. I think it's still very much consistent with what I have been saying, that Republicans have an advantage. But what I am also seeing is this swell, this rightward shift starting to move, starting to emanate, starting to develop. And if it's happening at this point out in the election cycle, there is a chance that it could get bigger as we go forward. And if that is the case, what I will also commit to doing is uh, having a um, uh, another mic drop that we can jump on to and start talking about what I'm seeing and why I'm seeing it, if there's interest from that perspective. So, guys, let me get to some more of the uh, arguments that are being used by both parties. I am going to say jump into the queue. Let's get some of those questions answered. There's a ton, ton, ton of data out there right now. As I mentioned on our last mic drop call, I think there's almost too much data. Okay, there's too much data. It's a little bit divergent. I think last week we were starting to see some of these Republican firms working to game the system a little bit, to game the averages. I'm not exactly sure why that is being done other than to say it's actually so cheap to do and inexpensive to do. I don't know why they haven't been doing it earlier. Okay, for two reasons. The first is it's just simply not that expensive to do a poll, especially with a small average, small uh, sample size, anywhere between 480 to 580 voters. And when you use online panels, it's not that expensive. And as long as your methodology meets that requirement, it's not that expensive to go ahead and just throw a poll out there and um, and, and submit it to the averages. And if it meets those method that methodological requirement, they'll they'll largely accept them. You're seeing a lot of them. Decision Desk Headquarters, 538, Real Clear Politics averages. All three of those averages basically accept any poll or any polling criteria that meets those that methodological um, basic um, baseline. Um, and it's not that expensive to do online anymore. So I'm surprised more Republican and Republican-affiliated groups aren't doing them. But it's also why I have been telling all of you the averages really aren't telling us a whole lot of data. Each individual poll will drive you crazy to look at. You can't look at and try to discern the outcome of races based off of these public-facing polls, and you certainly can't do them off of the polling averages. I think it was Elliot Thomas from The Economist who pointed out, even if the Republicans were gaming these surveys, and they may or may not have been, but even if they were with one week's uh, crush of Republican polls dumping into the system, it's still only moving the averages by a minuscule fraction at this point in the game. So I'm not going to suggest that um, that the gaming is, is necessarily happening, although it might be. I, I'm, I, I'm not a big believer that these averages are telling us all the heck of a lot. They're one small data point, and they're really not an important data point for me. Um, they never have been. I think I've been saying that for a while. I think you guys know me well enough to be able to take that to the bank. It's not something Mike Madrid is dropping in the first week of November before the elections. It's something I've been saying the entire time that you've known me. And that is because as somebody who runs campaigns for a living, I do not look at nor do I read the public polls because they don't mean a damn thing in the construct of a race. They just don't. There are no campaigns of any merit, of any gravitas on the Democrat or Republican side that are putting a hell of a lot of weight into the rolling averages. That's not the way this works, guys. You have your own research, you do your own actions, you take your own polling instruments, you develop and craft them the own way with people that you trust, you get your own results, and you act and behave and spend money accordingly. That's what I'm looking for, because if I can follow the spend of all of these groups, I can tell you exactly what they're pulling 
is showing. And that's more important and much more accurate to me than what I'm seeing in the polling averages. So quick question coming into the chat from Sack Meerkat. Did the GOP start demonizing mail-in ballots because the heavy GOP live turnout and late Dem count feeds their narrative that elections are being stolen due to fraud? Yes, largely. And when we say Republicans, I'm not even going to say Republicans. I'm going to say Donald Trump. This really began in 2016 when Donald Trump, who I think really does genuinely suffer from malignant narcissism, can't comprehend that anybody else in the world doesn't think of a world that surrounds or revolves around Donald Trump. And what happened was in blue states, specifically California in 2016, we in California allow for voting in so many different manners in so many different ways and have very, very aggressive liberalized laws as it relates to voting by mail that it takes us a long time to count votes. This differential of when Donald Trump got the first vote counts in, in, in California on election night in 2016, still lost, by the way, on the early count. But after all the vote totals were counted two and three weeks later, turned out he got his ass completely kicked. Not a big deal for a Republican that's been happening since the 1988 Bush quail campaign. Literally, that was the last time Republicans won in California. But, but Donald Trump won in 2016 by a record amount. He could not conceive that people would not vote for him. So what he started to do was blame the mail and ballot process as being stuffed. And he was arguing a million ballots were faked. Of course, he lost by more than a million ballots in 2016 in California, but he needed some huge arbitrary number. He couldn't prove that one ballot was fraudulent, by the way. So might as well go with a million because his people are going to believe him anyway. But that began this weird process of Republicans starting to turn very anti-mail in balloting. Not because the Republicans believed it was a good strategy. In fact, in 2016, I was getting calls from a lot of Republicans on the ground in key states like Wisconsin, people that were literally working for the Republican Party and working for Donald Trump. Incidentally, you should all know this. We call them moles in campaigns. They are people that were feeding us information from the campaign directly. These are people who were working on the Trump campaign who were telling the, the Lincoln Project what the campaign was doing. Yes, that happens in campaigns. Yes, you have to be very mindful of the quality of the information and the data that a spy is giving you. But we had a lot of spies inside the White House, inside the Trump campaign and on the ground in battleground states leaking to us as a Lincoln Project uh, organization what was happening on the ground. So we were getting real-time data, verifying it to see if the campaign was responding. Once we determined that that data was correct, we would start listening and giving more credence to what those people were telling us. And what they were telling us on the ground was that there were uh, Republicans who were pushing very, very hard uh, to say uh, that um, – the, 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 the Republican Party was desperately pushing back on the Trump campaign to promote mail and voting because a lot of us as Republican operatives have spent 30 years trying to train Republicans to vote by mail. A lot of Republicans are older voters, and instead of having them get up and get out of the House because a lot of them were bedridden or, or never left the House, we would work very hard to train them to trust mail and voting. We've been doing that for decades had dramatically overperformed the Democrats going into the elections and in every election cycle up until 2020. Uh, that changes with COVID. That really changes because the Democrats stopped doing door-to-door -door activity. 
A lot of Republican operations still continued, but we started to push very aggressively between Republican allies of Joe Biden and the Joe Biden campaign and the Democratic Party directly to vote by mail. That happens en masse. And that was when we started to prepare people for what was called the Red Mirage, is we told people that Donald Trump would be in his very strongest position, his very strongest position uh, around 11.30 midnight on Tuesday, election night, because all of the day of voting votes would be counted, but that would not account for all the mail-in votes that would be coming in that day or until day of, which would overwhelmingly benefit Democrats because Republicans had been trained to vote day of, Democrats had been trained to vote by mail, the mail-in ballots are counted later. That's exactly what's going to happen again this election cycle. That's a trend that will continue. And so you have to keep in mind uh, that the late vote will benefit the Democrats. Okay, The day of vote is going to overwhelmingly benefit the Republicans. It's another reason why I'm really, really critical of and I'm going to remind you to be extremely careful when you're listening to these Twitter voices out there, especially partisan Democrats, telling you how strong the numbers are on election day, early election day data. Okay? It's bullshit. It's complete horseshit. You cannot believe or discern any data that is coming in in 2022 and compare it to 2020 or to 2018. They're completely different cycles where the voters have been recalibrated to vote in entirely different behaviors. And it's absolute malpractice that these Democrats on Twitter are out there saying all of this stuff is happening. All of this amazing numbers are off the charts for Democrats. There's this blue wave and the media is full of shit. That's bullshit. They're completely wrong. Okay, and I'm not making the case for against Democrats. But what I will say is this. If you're cheerleading people and you are misleading people based off of something data driven and the data is not saying that you don't have the experience to make those qualifications and you're just feeding clickbait to get people's hopes up, then you ought to be, you know, you know, beaten with a wet noodle or something. You know, it's just it's just it's unacceptable. This should not be happening. So that's what I want to uh, bring up. And that's what I want to make clear to people. Um, no callers in the queue yet, so let me jump into the chats right now. Guys, this is a serious audience, by the way. So um, I, we, I take really, really um, great pride in the fact that Mic Drop listeners are not only close followers, but they're people who are very serious in their questioning and our response to that. So we've got a moderator, as you can see up here. That moderator will be shutting people down and banning people from the room really quickly if we start to get off the rails with this stuff. But I want to make sure that we're getting legitimate questions answered. People are legitimately concerned, as they should be. The elections coming up in the next week are extremely important. And I want to make sure that you're getting the best data you can from my perspective. You can disagree with me all you want. The political pundits can disagree with me all they want. That's fine. I'm offering you my perspective. That's the value I'm providing. But we don't have the time for any of the of the monkey business. Okay, So let's just try to kind of keep it above board. So political junkie, K-political junkie. KJ Political Junk is asking again, what's your view of early voting data? Does it really tell us anything at all? Which I just mentioned seems Twitter full of prognostications. It's absolute horseshit. Okay? It's garbage. And I, it's unfortunate because there actually are some good purveyors of political data, but it is too damn difficult to discern what habits have developed in the 22 cycle compared to the 20 cycle compared to the 2018 cycle. 
more than three other election cycles back to back to back, I will say these are the most distinct. So anybody trying to tell you what early voting data means is completely full of it. Okay, is completely wrongheaded to throw that data out there. Okay, uh, do I think that the Trump MAGA aversion to mail-in ballots will hurt their turnout? No, no, it won't. It's not going to hurt their turnout. The GOP is it, it, most data is showing that Republicans are more energized than Democrats. There's going to be very high Republican turnout, and it is not going to show up in the early counts. It's not going to show up in early mail, mail ballots, and it's not going to show up in early in-person voting. It's going to show up on day of voting. And that's, again, why it is so dangerous to make comparisons to the 2022 election or the 2018 election. They have nothing in common. So you're comparing not only apples to oranges, you're carrying like apples to like a soccer ball. They're not they're not even fruit. They're, they're that different. And that's why it's so bad and so dangerous to be looking at early voting data. It's not telling you anything. OK, so be very, very skeptical of it. We'll see what happens on Election Day, as we're supposed to. And we're going to have to um, be vigilant in making sure that we have some of those uh, results come and trickle in over the next 72 hours from Election Day and be mindful of that. OK, Election Day, Election Night, the old election victory parties and knowing by midnight who is going to win. Those days are long gone. They're gone. And the more we as a country try to find more and more different ways for people to vote, as we should, it's going to take longer to count. It means people are going to be, have to be more patient at a time when they don't like to be patient, but that's just too bad. Okay. Um, it seems like Democrats might stay home if they feel too comfortable with early voting numbers that high. I don't know. I'm not a big believer. Anybody who's who's following closely enough to know what early voting numbers are is not somebody who I'm concerned about not showing up to vote. So don't worry about that. We're going to go to the. Uh, Q here, which is following up with our man on the spot in Arizona. Craig, how are you? Mike, I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. What do you think of this new format? Can you see this on video? I can, man. You look good. Your painting looks good, too. I'm impressed. Thanks, brother. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's weird because I'm talking to myself. I can't see anybody else. But if this works, if this is more engaging, let's let's keep doing it. Yeah, no, I enjoy it, man. Um, Hey, uh, World Series is tied 1-1, by the way. Okay, good update. World Series tied 1-1. <laughs> Thanks for that. Hey, you're welcome. Um, hey, I, so I got to tell you, I think um, Hobbs is going to pull this thing out. I wow. Really Craig, um, tell me why. This is, Look, at. I love the optimism here. I love the last-minute change. Craig, by the way, for those of you that are new mic droppers, either joining tonight or haven't heard before, Craig has been ringing the bell for me for a long time and saying, Mike, what is wrong with the Hobbs for governor campaign in Arizona? Why are they letting Kerry Lake determine the entire battlefield narrative of this campaign? And I've been listening very astutely because everything he's been telling me anecdotally, anecdotally has proven out in the wash. So when I'm hearing him say this, when we're hearing Craig say this, uh, I want to know why. Give me some rationale. What are you seeing, Craig? What's changed your feeling about this race? Because this whole time you've been very concerned. So here, here's basically what's happened. Obviously, Barack Obama was just here, right? I think that really is going to help motivate the younger, um, the younger voters. And uh, B, they have the Hobbs campaign or the Democratic campaign has really taken control over this since we talked last. I mean, I am seeing five to one um, Hobbs commercials versus Lake commercials. And the Hobbs commercials are very damning. Um, the Lake commercials are the same old nonsense that nobody wants to hear anymore, Mike. 
Um, and with the GOP waiting to vote till election day, I think there's a lot of, um, you know, old school GOP out here that aren't just going to go vote for Lake. And um, that's that's basically my theory. Well, look, I, you've been saying, when is the cavalry coming? When are the ads coming? I guess they have finally arrived. Democrat voters tend to break a little bit later, especially Hispanic voters, much later than other voters. The spend on behalf of Democrats for Hispanics has significantly outnumbered what it's been for Republicans in Arizona. There's a very strong, rigid trend line sitting in about the mid to mid to high 20s uh, for Republicans with Hispanics. Those are not good numbers, especially as the numbers of Hispanics grow, the actual raw numbers. So this is, look, this is hopeful. I mean, the, 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 the race has shown the, the averages, I think, have Lake up going late into this thing. Kelly has maintained his lead above uh, Masters in this race. I think Kelly was always probably going to win this thing. I'm hopeful that he still will. But like I shared with you last time, Craig, I was starting to get pretty dang nervous <laughs> about what was going on in the Hobbs Lake race. So it's really good to hear you saying that your feeling on this race has changed. Yes, it has. It, it, it's going to be really close. I mean, razor thin. Um, you know, but here I'm also kind of a nerd. Like I look at these cross tabs of every poll. And the one cross tab that I make sure I pay attention to is the Hispanic vote. And almost all these um, uh, polls that have Lake up have the, the, the Hispanic vote split amongst the two candidates. Yeah. And, you know, uh, hopefully it's going to break, you know, like you said, 70, 30 or, you know, 65, 25 for Hobbs. And that's yeah. going to be the, the difference, I'm, I'm hoping. So, Craig, here's what I want you to do. When you see those polls in Arizona showing a 50-50 break of Hispanics, I want you to look at the sample size, the subsample size of Hispanics, Okay. If it's less than 300, 350, the numbers you're getting are not reliable. It's not enough to gauge public opinion in a meaningful way. When you start getting into just the Hispanic sample over 500, you're starting to get good quality numbers. Most of those larger polls like Univision or the Siena Times Ipsos poll will start to have larger Hispanic sample size that are plus 500. You start getting into that range and the Democratic numbers start to go up and the Republican numbers start to slide down into a traditional range. So one of the big problems with polling this year of Hispanics, which will probably be stopped going forward, is looking at Hispanic subgroups where those sample sizes are 300 and below and not being able to discern really good data. Good, good. All um, right, one, more, one, one more thing I want to say is um, I yeah. listen to um, Hacks on Tap. That's uh, the podcast with David Axelrod and your yeah. buddy Mike Murphy. Yeah. And uh, Murph says um, that he, he's, uh, he thinks that the Kelly people are pretty worried right now. Well, let me tell you, uh, if anybody would know, Murphy would know. Okay. Um, I have not talked to Mike. I'll probably give him a ring. A lot of us, you know, give each other a phone call just to kind of gauge the mood of the electorate and, and, and test our own thermostats to see if we've still got it as old political war horses. As you know, I'm a big fan of Murphy's. I'm a big fan of Axis. Um, if anybody would know that data and if he's, if he's sharing it, it's for a reason. Um, there's, like I said, I think there's been a late break, but we'll, we'll see. It's good to hear you anecdotally saying that you feel a, a different energy in Arizona. Let's hope that you're right. I do. I do, Mike. And uh, let's hope I'm right. So anyway, hey, man, I've been enjoying this uh, all, all election season and let's continue it. So talk. Brother, to you. I appreciate it. I've loved your feedback and reports from Arizona in the field and even on uh, World Series updates, too. They've been extremely, extremely helpful, my man. Hey, Mike, take care, dude. All right. Thanks, guy.
Josh, we're going to have you jump up into the queue now. One quick second. I think I overstepped a little bit. Hang in there with me. Hang in there with me, Josh. There you are. All right, Josh, go ahead and unmute, brother. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. All right, cool. Well, I think we'll stick with it. We're getting good feedback. Until you guys are tired of seeing my ugly mug, and then I'll shut it off and go back to strictly calling. No, no, I, I, I like uh, visuals, audio, all that. So um, I, got, I, I only want to ask you if you heard something that I didn't hear. Um, I recently heard that's kind of crazy. Um, apparently, in Virginia, like a week ago or something, or a little more, more than that, they found like 107 backlog voter application registrations. And that, that's it. And, and, and I know Yonkin runs that state. I'm not trying to imply something that could be chopped up to just incompetence, but that seems fucking astonishing to me. Okay, let me, let, me, let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there. Because unless any of this stuff comes from a credible source, I don't want any of my channels being used to promulgate anything like this, okay? Yeah, not going to chase down rumors, and we're not going to talk about this kind of stuff because it undermines people's confidence in elections. The chances of this happening are extraordinarily remote on both sides. So I appreciate your paying attention to it. And if there's comes from a credible news source or credible reporting, then let's talk about it. But I'm not going to not going to be part of allowing this stuff to feed into the ecosystem out there, okay? Yeah, I, I, no, I, I actually agree with that philosophy. And do you want me to tell you where I did hear it from? Yeah, and I'm seeing in the quote in the chat room right now that it came from a DMV website. Yeah, it came from a public access, access project. And I was hearing, I was listening to Trippy's show, and he was talking about it. And I was like, what the fuck? Because I haven't heard any journalists report about this. And that just seems, my, my question isn't whether you think it's true so much, but No, if this does not sound like anything that I have actually ever heard of before. And let me say this. There's no question that Republicans have been involved with shenanigans as it relates to balloting in the past couple of election cycles. But the, the simple fact of, of actually executing and implementing something from government resources is so complex and trips off so many red alarm bells that it's virtually impossible to do. That's not the way anybody who is capable or competent would affect the outcomes of races. It's just, it's not. That's one of the other absurdities about this whole thing, by the way, about all of this electioneering fraud that supposedly has gone on and all the cyber ninja bullshit that was read and these people breaking into Dominion voting machines. The truth of the matter is, folks, that's not the way you steal an election. I mean, I hate to say it. I hate to say it as an operative. There's far better, more effective ways that you won't get caught if you want to cause chaos in the system. Going into voting machines is probably the stupidest, lamest, dumbest way to do it. The second is breaking into a, D a Department of Motor Vehicles website. Like th those are really, really bad, stupid ways. The first reason is because it's not going to work. 
The second is you're leaving a trail of data a mile long. And the third is you're going to get caught and go to jail as you should. So, no, I'm not saying that it didn't happen. I don't even know the particulars of the story. But what I am going to say is uh, it's right there in the chat room in the Washington Post if everybody wants to see it. What I'm saying is that is not the way that you're going to see orchestrated uh, electioneering fraud happen. It's not going to happen through a DMV website. And if it does, it's by a lone actor who doesn't know what the hell he's doing who's going to end up spending the next 30 years in jail. Fair enough? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I absolutely buy that. Uh, just one just thing to add to this, uh, just for, I guess what's been alleged here is that Teresa Simpson, who's a registrar at Hanover County, Virginia, had corroborated this by saying she only got recently a backlog of 1,100 registration applications. Now the thing is, is I, I'm kind of I'm not a conspiracy person like at all, and I really reject people's quickness to kind of go that route most uh-huh. of the time. Not that I don't think Republicans today wouldn't put that past them. Yeah. But, um, I just want, what I was I was just curious about if this kind of because this is apparently backlogged since May and September, and if. And if so, I could see, yeah, sure, maybe incompetence. But that's also like over 100 people that's not been included in polls for like the last over 100,000 people for the last six months. It makes you wonder if this is happening more often and if polls are not reflecting a lot of new voter registrations. And uh, anyway, I just wanted to see. No, Josh, it's fair. it's fair, and it's, it's look. You're 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 a legitimate observer of this stuff. I'm not suggesting you, of all people, are are a uh, conspiracy guy because you're not. You ask great questions, and you're paying attention, and it is a legitimate. It is legitimate. But what I will say is this: Do I think it's it's concentrated, orchestrated, methodical fraud? The answer is no. I do not. Okay. Do I think it's incompetence? Sure. Sure. I, uh, sure. I, I don't think government is all that competent to begin with. Sure. This, these types of things happen in California. It doesn't mean that, you know, Gavin Newsom is trying to prevent people from registering. It means that there's a competence question. I know that's not what you're suggesting either. What you are suggesting is, is there an unaccounted for block of voters that the data is not showing? The short answer is no. And how do I know that? Because when we're building voter models, there's enough of a registration trend to find an extra 100, 250, 300,000 voters is really so marginal compared to what the, the existing model shows that it's not going to affect the outcome by more than, you know, half a third of a percentage point, depending on the bigger, the size of your sample size. Uh, I, I mean, I guess, it, look, is the race in, in Virginia going to come down uh, or, or it, well, again, this is this is Virginia. So we're looking at house races. Is, are those races going to come down to, you know, less than 100,000 votes? Yeah, yeah, probably in most instances. But again, that, that's statewide. These numbers, as I understand it, are statewide. That's not in one of the handful of congressional districts are there. We're talking, if you break it out evenly, it's what, 10, 15,000 registrations. Is that enough? Possibly. Could be. Is it a problem? Of course it's a problem. Is it going to affect the outcome of the race? Highly unlikely. Is it affecting the polling in those districts? No, not really. Do I believe it's an orchestrated effort? No, I don't. Do I think it's incompetence? Yes, probably. Right. Okay. Mike, your insights are always appreciated, man. Thanks.
Thanks, my brother. Thanks for the question. And uh, I hope you didn't take that any other way than completely respectfully, my man. You know I love no, your opinion on this stuff. I did not. No, no. I, I actually I agree a thousand percent with not wanting to poison the well with very possibly dangerous speculation, especially right now when everybody just thinks all sorts of manner of bat shittery about the government and election frauds and this and that. I would never want to intentionally be a part of that. But so I, I agree with your tag and I like that about you. All right, my brother. Thank you for calling in. Thanks for being a supporter of the show. Give Trippy my best. I should probably have to give him a call before election night too and see what he's up to as well. You Katie. Yeah, you guys should organize some kind of episode together either on his show or yours. I would love to see that happen someday. I'm a huge Trippy fan. He's a good dude. We did that one show together on Corey Nathan's uh, podcast. Maybe we'll do it again. Um, oh, yeah, we, we probably, you know, the truth of the matter is the, all of us probably ought to be on each other's shows a little bit more just to give people a broader sense of, of what it is that we're seeing. Some, some of the older guys like us now uh, have the bandwidth, the wherewithal to, to do that kind of stuff. So let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me put the feelers out on that. If you guys might find that interesting, we can do a little bit more of that. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks, Josh. Katie, you're up. Go ahead and unmute, and you're ready to uh, ask a question. It's kind of a two-part question, but they're related. Um, Okay. I guess my question is, what, if anything, at this point, this close to the election, can we do to affect any change in the results? I mean, is there, like, throwing money into a race at this point? Does that do anything? No. Phoning. Phoning. Phoning is, is, I mean, unless you can fly in and go door knock, the la- all that's left now is what we say is the Air Force has, you know, been launched. The planes are in the air. The bombs have been dropping. The long-range artillery has been fired. All the television has been bought. The tanks have been rolled. There's literally nothing left to, left to do in the last few weeks of the campaign except for foot soldiers on the ground or on the phones talking to actual voters and urging them to show up and vote. The good news is uh, it's relatively recent in my political career, but basically 2008 Obama pioneered this stuff, is getting coordinated phone calls and phone lists from the campaigns. You can actually do that now if you want to do phone bank or send texts. Um, If you're not able to fly in or drive into a neighboring state, if you're in a blue state or a deep red state and want to get into a battleground congressional district or a battleground state, that's the, those are the only three options you have, phone, text, or knock doors. Uh, they also happen to be, by the way, the most effective ways of changing voter behavior and making sure that those votes actually get out and happen. Um, person-to-person contact is the best way to do it. But the truth is, um, you know, uh, there's really nothing. Don't, there's no more money. Don't, don't be giving any more money. There, there's, 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 there's no more TV inventory to be bought. There's no more radio inventory to be bought. There's, there's literally nothing left but texting, phone calling, and door-to-door uh, knocking. And if you had to pick out a race or a couple races where that would be the most helpful, um, which states' races would those be? Wow, that's a great question. Um, let me talk about the Senate side right now. Boy, any any one Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada. Any one of those. And Wisconsin <laughs> is like out cuz I I've never been a believer so in Wisconsin. Through. I mean, I look, I hope I'm proven wrong. I've never really thought Mandela Barnes has a shot at that race. I could be wrong. I just think that Wisconsin has a stronger Republican lean, especially in off-cycle races 
than um, than otherwise is the case. Um, I'm not saying no. I don't want to dissuade you either from 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 being politically active in these races. I've got friends who are going into Iowa, who are going after Grassley right now. God bless them. I mean, if you if you if you're feeling it, go to where you're passionate. I don't think Beth the wins, but if you want to go work hard in Texas, go. Like that's that's important. And I know you're asking me an efficiency question. That's the way that I would answer it. Is I would say. Um, you know, Georgia, Nevada are my top two that I think are the most important. The third behind that is Arizona. And then fourth, uh, Pennsylvania. Like, that's where I would go. Even though Nevada, the the race seems way more in favor of Republicans? I don't think it's that in favor. I mean, I think... I think it probably breaks Republican late, but it's off. It's off. It's also shown a, a propensity. I mean, you got an incumbent. It's hard to beat incumbents in there with Cortez Masto. Um, she should win. Uh, my gut tells me she probably loses, but it's going to come. It's going to be close, man. I mean, it, let me say. Let me put it this way: Is it worth working in? Yes, yes. Will your work make a difference? Yes. In any one of those four, I believe it will make a difference. Okay. All right. Perfect. Yeah. And then Thank you so much. I had one one other yeah. question. Um, it. it just I feel like Democrat strategy is we we work very hard during like the regular election season, but we don't do a lot of off cycle work. What would you think is the work that we should be doing off cycle to like um, Regist- registering, 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 registering. I don't think Democrats do enough of that. I think they do more than Republicans do. But when you look at the nature of the Democrats' electorate and their composition, they should be dumping a ton more money into voter registration efforts. They just don't. They should be dumping a ton of money into voter registration efforts, especially in the 270 states. That's where the difference is going to be made is by getting those people registered and on the rolls and then converted to actual voters By the time I think Democrats really start to focus in on races, they're still talking to constituencies which don't have that significant enough of a propensity to vote. They need to really get out of the mindset that there's any downtime. They need to start a week after the elections with funding massive voter registration programs. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Mike. Always appreciate your insight. Yeah, I hope that was helpful. Thank you so much for that call. Got a little quick update that Justin Verlander has the bases loaded in the bottom of the second. Verlander, by the way, let me mention this. Uh, sorry, baseball sidetrack. Uh, Verlander is one of the greatest pitchers of this generation, but his numbers in October just are not good. They're just not good. And I, I thought Kershaw's were going to be worse, you know, as a Dodger fan who kind of looks uh, really tough. You know, I guess uh, Verlander just got out of the jam, struck him out, got out of the Got out of the bases loaded jam. Uh, Verlander's numbers are worse than Kershaw's. I mean, this guy is this guy is not a performer in October. So um, for whatever that means, and again, I don't want to sidetrack too much into baseball, but I appreciate it. Baseball season ends, by the way, when the Dodgers are out because it doesn't really matter. No one's really paying attention anyway. So I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of heat from that one. Renee, uh, North Carolina, what's happening on the ground in NC? Renee got a hit on mute. Renee. Uh Uh-oh, we lost Renee. 
Uh, she's back in the queue, but I'm going to go around her, and I'm going to go to Andrew real quick, Renee, if that's okay. I'm sure you won't mind. Uh, Andrew, you should be up in the queue. Nope, you're not there yet. We'll take the next caller. You're in the queue now, Andrew. Go ahead and unmute. Hey, Mike. How you going, Mike? Good, buddy. How are you? I saw your comment about grabbing a beer. You guys see me wiping the sweat off. I actually have some fans that I should have turned on. I'm worried about how it's going to mess with the noise. So I'm looking like this sweaty guy wiping my head down on my first video here. Guys. Crazy sweaty dude. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give the man a cold beer. But um, um, I've got a more of a deep question. Um, Because uh, I kind of see the midterms as it's kind of baked and it's done. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen now. Um, can DeSantis win 40% of the Latino vote in 24 and find his way to 270, that path? Uh, that's a good question. My instincts tell me no. I don't think he can get to 40% of the national Hispanic vote. Um, would I be shocked if it happened? I would be very surprised. Do I think it's impossible? No, I think it's very difficult. I think the narrative of DeSantis being the Hispanic candidate in 2024 is going to be very different than when I was working for George W. Bush. Yeah, we, were, right. we were positioning him in 1998 as the Hispanic candidate, and we were getting over 40% of the Mexican-American vote in Texas. Very different dynamics. And the biggest difference here, Andy, is that uh, there's very few Mexican-Americans in Florida. And that's the immediate pushback problem he's going to have is people be like, yeah, you can get Cubans and Venezuelans, but you already got them. Like what you're going to get is kind of what you're going to get. I also don't think DeSantis is that strong a candidate, by the way. I don't don't think – look, a million things are going to happen between now and – November 2024, I don't see a Republican winning the White House in 2024. Can it happen? Yes. Do I think it's going to be Ron DeSantis? No. Not even convinced he's going to be the nominee. He might be. Um, his numbers, by the way, he's starting to kick Trump's ass in key states. I don't know if you're seeing some yeah, of Yeah, uh, that, that's why I asked the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't think DeSantis uh, – like, for example, if, if, if Biden runs – um, I think he's he's the odds-on favorite. It's extremely difficult to beat an incumbent. I think uh, I don't think a Kamala Harris would be a particularly strong candidate. I don't think she would be the nominee. By the way, um, I think Gavin Newsom would beat DeSantis's ass. I don't even think it'd be close. I think I think that um, a Buddha judge would beat him. I think I think the Democrats are in a very strong position in 2024. I think the 270 map. I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout. But I'm saying that I would put my money on a Democrat winning because the nutbags in the House of Representatives that we're going to see on full circus show display are going to remind people of just what the stakes are going to be by putting a Republican, any Republican, in the White House in 2024 will be. And that will ultimately, I think, be their undoing. Well, I think we're going to see a bit of what Obama put up with, right? You know, he had he, – he, he was the, you know, he was the, uh, the firewall against, um, you know, the House and Senate, right? Keeping, uh, right. keeping them on the level. I think that's where we're going. And um, that was sort of my question is that how do they find – so how does the GOP find a guy who's palatable enough to win enough votes to get them across the line? Because the way they're trending, it's going the other way real fast. 
right? I'm just you're asking the right question. Field. Yeah. No, you. I mean, it's it's not Pence, right? Pence, Pence, Pence going nowhere fast, right? Yeah. And look, I, as always, Andrew, you're asking the right question, exactly the right way, and that will be the narrative. And DeSantis's people are going to float that as strongly as possible. Okay. You're going to see Republicans have a good year. There's going to be a lot of banter about what the Hispanic vote did and didn't do. And you're going to see Abbott and DeSantis out there saying, see, I got the biggest share of the Hispanic vote. The truth of the matter is DeSantis will do better with Hispanics than Abbott will in Texas. But he's going to win with Floridians and Venezuelans. And the big pushback on him is going to be you don't have the support that you need with Mexican-Americans. And then they'll start to fight into that narrative. But that is true, by the way. He doesn't. And, and getting getting 70% of the Cuban vote is not the same thing as getting 40% of the Mexican-American vote in California, Arizona, Nevada, or Texas, or New Mexico. It's just not. And that's what you need to get to the 270 map, right? I mean, DeSantis' biggest strength isn't that he's good with Hispanic voters. It's, that it's probably that he's got a lock on Florida. And that helps him in the Republican primary. It also helps him in the general. But that he's not going to carry, you know, Arizona because he's tight with a bunch of Miamians in Miami, South Dade, in Florida. Like that, 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 that dog don't hunt. That ain't going to work. But, 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 but you know that dog and pony show is coming, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, that, that's why I'm saying that dog and pony show is coming. One, but the narrative behind it is easily dismissed, which is people can start saying anybody's going to start saying so that, big deal. You did great with Cubans and Venezuelans. Who cares? That, that means yeah. nothing. That means nothing yeah. when you start getting into the Southwest. And his campaign will start to have to work overtime to prove that. So, yes, you're right. That narrative is coming. Um, but they should all – they do. These are, these are not dumb guys. They, they immediately know that they've got a huge Mexican-American problem. Uh, to say that we did well with Hispanics and that that's translatable to Mexican-Americans is a bigger problem. There's more downside than upside that he's going to get out of it. But he's going to. But he'll do better than Trump with with the Hispanic vote, right? I think he'll do the same. Um, okay. Well, I, look. I mean, like I said, I I believe this rightward shift is happening. Don't get me wrong. I'm one of the people saying it's mm. happening. Whether it shows up in 2022 or not, I don't know. But I I can look at the data over the past two decades. It's happening, right? And it's going to happen regardless of who the Republican candidate is going to going to be. Now, I did two of the most successful Hispanic campaigns for Republicans in history. In 2000, I did Bush, and we got 37%. Four years later, we got 44%. And we were running a very positive, aspirational message. The Republican Party now is running a very negative, anti-immigrant, ugly, mean message. They're still getting a bigger share of the vote. My argument is, if you guys just changed your tone and quit being assholes, you'd get another six, seven, eight percent of the vote just on the natural. They just can't help themselves, and so as a result, you know they've they've, they've limited their upward trajectory. Can can DeSantis get to forty percent of the vote, Hispanic vote? Yes, he can. Do I think it's likely? I don't think it's likely. Does he need to? Not really. Not really. It's going to come down. Four states we're going to be watching. North Carolina, and that's why North Carolina is so important Tuesday night. Keep your eye on North Carolina. If it's yep. close, North Carolina is going to become very, very important in the 270 map. Georgia, Arizona, the three Sunbelt states I have been talking about since 2020. And then um, – Nevada. Uh, what was that? Nevada. 
Nevada. Sorry, thank you. Sure. Uh, yeah. So we're talking about. Um, um, well, I'll throw Wisconsin in there too. I think I think Democrats still win that in a presidential race, but but definitely Nevada uh, as well. So so you don't need all of those as as a Democrat. You don't need all of those. Obviously, Biden mm-hmm. won without North Carolina. As a Republican, you you've got to have you've got to have pretty much all of those to get there. Um, you, you know, Trump would have won if he had won um, two out of the three of Arizona, Georgia, or Wisconsin. He lost all three. He needed he needed to win two of those. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, so you know, if if the Republicans hold on to North Carolina, odds are they will. Then we're looking at kind of the, that same matrix again. But but Nevada is coming into play. New Hampshire, by the way, is getting messy for Democrats in a presidential race. In some ways, the Republicans are expanding the map. So we've got to, the 270 map will be different than it was in 2020. I think it's going to help a Republican increasing the Hispanic vote in Georgia and Arizona and Nevada, but not as important uh, as North Carolina, New Hampshire, and Wisconsin. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tougher map for both parties. I'd still rather be the Democrats, but it's going to, it's going to be a tougher map. Maybe we should continue mic drop because it's look the presidential <laughs> campaign starts next week. By the way, one hundred percent, it's it's on right. It's it's, it's on. on. It's, yeah, Andrew, it's it's going. So you know, it's two I mean, years. it's two years right. It's nonstop. Yeah. Um, and and you, you do actually, and you actually think that Biden's going to run? Like you, you actually think that? I I, I I do only because this kind of speculation happens all the time. What I will say is there's one big caveat, and that is I really do believe the Republicans are going to drag Hunter Biden through the mud. And I think that I think that there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, I'm not saying it is all illegal or whatever, but it's very tawdry, and I think it will be very damaging. And I don't think Joe Biden's going to want that for his son. So I, I no, think one, that, no one voted for this guy. He, he, he's just his son. Who gives a continental, right? Yeah, and I think I think I think that Joe Biden is just that man, and and um, I don't think Trump will be the nominee. And I think that if it's DeSantis Biden, I think Biden wins. I think if it's DeSantis Newsom, Newsom wins. I think if it's Tucker Carlson versus uh, you know, a Democrat, then I think it gets hard. I think it gets tough. I think Tucker Carlson <laughs> is a very strong candidate. Tucker needs, Tucker needs to go to the moon. But, um, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I just can't see Biden. I'm sorry um, to run you, pray, but I, I, like, he's, but, like, he's, like, he's like Grandpa. He's like Grandpa, dude. Like, you know, just, yeah. just let him, you know, he's done his job. He beat Trump yeah. and he can just go off to retirement, you know, let him, yeah. set him free. Very <laughs> legitimate opinion. Very <laughs> legitimate opinion. You, you can take right, enough, enough for you, call. Thanks, buddy. All right, brother. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, Renee. Back into the queue. We're going to go ahead and put you back up, take you in there, unmute, and give us the North Carolina update. Renee's having a tough time finding that mute button tonight. It keeps popping her out of that queue. But we're going to give her. We're going to we're going to give her a second here because she always offers a lot of insight into the program. Renee, got to find that mute button, Renee. The mute button isn't working. Can I unmute her from here? Nope, she fell out of the queue again. 
We're going to go to Catherine. And let's see if anybody else is. Catherine, is your mute button working? Look at that. Catherine found the oh, button. Yes. I was scared for a second. No, no. Don't be scared. Yeah, what kind of questions do you have for us? Okay, I have a question about Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. So You're from Pennsylvania, right? Yes, I am. Outside Philadelphia. Okay. So Biden and Obama will both be in Pittsburgh and Philadelphia this weekend. This was like a last-minute trip. Yeah. Is that a bad sign for Fetterman? No, I don't think so at all. I, I, I think it's a good sign. I think, um, look, I will say something that is going to be very unpopular, but I think if you look at it, it's true. The, the candidate that probably, the, the politician that has probably the worst successful track record of actually turning out voters to win races is Barack Obama. He, he actually has a horrible record. But the base does love him, you know? And, and I, do I believe that that's a bad sign? I, I do not believe that's a bad sign. I think it's a very good sign. Um, I think that Fetterman, uh, I, I still think Fetterman's going to win. What the Democrats really need now is strong city turnout in Pittsburgh and in Philadelphia. They need the, the, the bottom left and bottom right quadrants of that rectangle to show up in big, big numbers. And I think that you will see, um, um, I think you will see that happen. I think so they've, been, they've been pounding the African-American vote on the, on the Oz side yeah. because of that story from several years ago where he chased a black man down the street. Yeah. With a gun. Um, so you don't think Obama will help that at all? Yeah, no, he will help. I, I, I do. I'm just, I'm just saying in general. I mean, Andy just commented the Obama midterms were really bad. They were historically bad. But even beyond that, I mean, a lot of, a lot of Obama, you know, even after the presidency, he'd come in or he'd endorse congressional candidates, and he's got a really, really poor track record. And we also have to remember, uh, and I'm not saying anything bad about him. I think he's one of the great politicians of our generation. I'm just, it's, it's of no consequence to me. It's just one of those peculiarities I look at from a data perspective. Oprah just endorsed Fetterman. Okay, that uh, seen that. She would apologize for Dr. Oz. <laughs> yeah, she, she, she actually should. That's a big deal, by the way. I think that's a big deal. I think that's a bigger deal than Obama. I think Oprah is a bigger deal than Obama. Good. But I think I, I think that, that both of them falling into line correct any any Fetterman problems that he might have had, and I don't even know if he had them. The question really is turnout. Yeah, it's 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 a really big deal that Oprah endorsed Fetterman. She should have done it a long time ago. Uh, yeah, but but she did it, and here it is. You're a week out. If there's strong African American turnout in Philly and in Pittsburgh, uh, Fetterman's going to be fine. I, I think the fundamentals benefit Fetterman. I just I've always believed that. You all you've all heard me say that. I said it was going to be a close race. I think it's closer than it needs to be. Um, but I, I do believe that the fundamentals of, of Pennsylvania benefit a Democrat in a way that states other states do not. Ohio, I don't believe that. Right, New Hampshire, I don't believe that. Um, I, uh, Florida, I don't believe that. Um, I do believe that in, in Pennsylvania. I do believe that in Georgia. I do believe that in Arizona. Can I ask you a question also about Georgia then? Yeah. Does it does a runoff benefit Warnock since Walker won't have the, the Kemp voters there? That's a great question. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the dynamics of who is actually benefited I, I, I people turn out just for Walker. <coughs> we support him that much. Here's what they'll turn out for. They'll turn out for a majority in the Senate. Regardless of whether or not I Walker. I mean they didn't they didn't last time though. Didn't. Well they, they 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 we had a record high turnout in a runoff in Georgia. 
in January, right? You did. Yeah. I mean, both sides. Look, we're in a we're in a period now of very high turnout. This is going to be a very high turnout election, twenty twenty. And if if there's a runoff in Georgia, there will also be very high turnout. You have to remember, Georgia's a southern state. They just they developed this runoff in January system for a reason. They wanted certain people to not show up and vote, and by by certain people, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's just the South. That's, now, the South, the old South ain't the new South. And that's what they found out is, you know, they're not going to wear that shit anymore. And, 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 and that's not, we're just not in that environment. People are going to show up when there is that much on the line. They did in 2018. They did in 2020. They will in 2022. I believe we are in for a very extended period of very high turnout elections. And I don't think George is any exception to that. I think we're going to see high turnout in November. And if it does go to a runoff, I think we'll see pretty high turnout by, by, by runoff standards in January, as we did last January when, when Democrats showed up in big numbers. And the problem you had then was Donald Trump was saying the election was a lie anyway, and he wasn't on the ballot and his people didn't show up. If you have high, if you have high uh, African-American and Latino turnout in Georgia, um, especially with low, medium, low propensity voters, which you have seen in the past three election cycles, uh, that may be enough to surmount this this lower propensity white, non-college educated Trump voter, which is not showing up unless Donald Trump's name is literally on the ballot. And of course, it's not in 2020. Yeah. I have to say also, um, you were spot on with that Age of Acrimony book. That is, oh. I have to stop reading it because it's so damn spooky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah, I'd love to have the author on. Maybe I'll invite the author on to be a guest uh, after this be because great. I think it's really. Thank you for that. And I, I, it's one of the books that I did recommend. What 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 Catherine's uh, talking about is um, a book called The Age of Acrimony: America Between 1865 and 1915. And what the book talks about is this period of political violence, of very high voter turnout of a lot of voter intimidation, a lot of ballot box shenanigans, uh, political assassinations. Look, this stuff, the fact that we're seeing stuff with Paul Pelosi right now, political violence, the fact that we're starting to see attacks and threats on synagogues, this is this is not new, okay, guys? We're, we're, we're eyeballs deep in it again. We have to be vigilant, but if there is something calming and reassuring about it, I want you to know that the United States of America has been through a very similar time, and that time period was 1865 to 1915, when democracy was really hanging by a thread in the years after the Civil War. And a lot of what we were seeing is exactly what we're seeing now. So Catherine's saying, too, as she's reading it. But I would highly recommend the book if you're interested uh, in, in, in reading about a time. It gave me some reassurance. It can scare you, right, Catherine? It's a little bit scary because you're yeah. like, Holy shit, like this is real and this is happening and the parallels are eerie. What brings me calm about it is saying, okay, this is not unprecedented. Like this is ugly. This is nasty. This is scary. It's okay to be scared, but it's also good to find comfort in history by saying that Americans persevered then and were successful. We can do so again. I think the difference, though, is that it wasn't manufactured last time. So, you know, Trump and Bannon, they're, they're manufacturing yeah. these things now. I would argue that's probably better for us. We got a better chance, yeah. you know. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> yes. Thank thanks you a so lot. Much. No, thanks for calling in. I really appreciate it. It's good to put a voice with the name, and thanks for being such a, a a good supporter and follower and for asking great questions. Yep. All right. Take care. Bye.
Take care. Renee, we're going to try it again. Third time is a charm. Oh, man. She cannot find the mute button. There she is. Look at that. She did. She found it. Something weird. I had to allow my, my phone to access my camera in order to do it, which is weird. Oh. Well, we can't see you. Well, good, because um, it's not one of the days. Real quick, I, I'm never I'm never one to give you pushback on anything, but I'm going to push back here on okay. what you just said about Oz. Yeah. Oprah does not need to apologize for Oz. If she did, it would piss off the black community, period. Because, and, and, and I say this, being involved with, in a huge collective, predominantly black African-American women it, that are heavily involved in politics, boots on the ground, you know, all those kinds of things that would be offensive to them because the only person responsible for Oz's behavior is Oz. Um, when it did, did his notoriety come from her? Yes. Did she make him into a, a maniacal individual? No. Um, so on, on that one, I, I have to strongly disagree. Anyway, um, to what you were saying about, you know, the, the 2024 campaign starting on November the 9th, 100% agree. Um, and I also agree that North Carolina is going to be in the middle of that. Um, and one of the things that I wanted to, to get a little bit of maybe insight from you on is how to go about building um, a voter registration um, campaign here. Um, I don't really, you know, I, I've talked to district chairs. Nobody seems to be interested. Um, you know, I think I can get it privately funded, um, but I'm not really sure the mechanics of it. <clears throat> but I think it's going to be critically important to us if we're looking at a 270 map um, in 2024. So, yeah, well, a couple of things. Yeah, and I'm going to talk walk through the mechanics of how to do that right now. And I'll, in fact, I'll put you in touch with uh, with Zach Chikowski, my former political director of the Lincoln Project, who lives in North Carolina. Okay. And he can help. He can put you directly uh, in place. But the fact is, your those local Democratic Central Committees that's literally their job. And if you're bringing funding or helping to fund it, and they're not willing to help you out, then shame on them. It explains maybe why why North Carolina is not moving towards the Democratic Party as much as it should have. But regardless, what I will do, Renee, is I'm going to send you the contact information for Zach, uh, who can who can help you out and get you plugged in. Okay. Um, but I'm also I'm also going to push back on the Oprah thing. And let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Um, when you have a bully pulpit that is bigger than perhaps anybody else's on the planet, and you unleash something on society that is damaging and destructive. You don't get to just walk away and say, oh, well, I didn't know that that was what was going to happen. The reason is, is because your activity and your actions are complicit in it as well. I'm not saying that she wasn't, that she's part and parcel of selling fake vitamins and, and snake oil cures to people or lying about democracy. But what I am saying is, she was part and parcel of the creation of giving that a megaphone, and she has a unique obligation, a unique responsibility to decry the fraud. And it's bigger than just democracy. This guy has made millions by lying to people, by being a liar, 
That's not acceptable. It's certainly not acceptable in democracy. And if I had done something like that, I would feel a moral responsibility to weigh in and correct the record. And I stand firmly behind the idea that Oprah Winfrey has that exact same obligation, except much bigger because her megaphone is probably bigger than anybody else's on the planet. So, so anyway, I'm gonna put you in touch. Go ahead. In a similar vein, is is the University of Georgia, rep, you know, responsible for Herschel Walker? Oh, I don't, those are not the same thing at all. But I mean, that's why he's the candidate. That's why they moved him from Texas to Georgia was because they knew that no, they would no, consider him no, because he, no, he's a no, 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 no. Those are not the same thing at all. Have, him playing football at the University of Georgia is very different than getting the imprimatur from somebody who made him a celebrity. Those are completely different things. Those are completely different things. Okay, now, I'll accept that. Yeah, so I, I hear what you're saying. I just believe that in today's day and age, every, those, uh, those people who open up these cans of worms, whether you decided to or not, knowing as dangerous as it's become, you have the unique leverage to claw that back in. And I think that that's what Oprah should have done. Okay. Okay. One more, um, all right. One more thing. Um, yeah. North Carolina. Um, we, it's, it's, I think it's really going to be tight here. I don't think Sherry Beasley's going to pull it off. Um, I just don't. They, there's been so many um, like negative ads in um, high viewership medium, like, college football games, World Series games, et cetera, that they just aren't battling back on those narratives. And then, you know, at the same time, I'm like doing texting for her and I'm getting responses that are mimic mimicking some of those ads. Huh. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so you yeah can that's right. You, that's how you really know when they're working or not. Right. You can tell they're working because now they're, you know, we've got we've got pushback coming that that Sherry Beasley's pro pedophile. And that's exactly what they're that's exactly the ads that they're the attack ads they're running. So right. we know they're working. Yeah. So I think we will. I don't think we're going to pick up that Senate seat, much to my dismay. However, yeah. I do think we're going to pick up a House seat that we weren't expecting to pick up. Okay. Because um, Bo Hines is running in District 13 against Wiley Nickel. That is the seat that's being vacated by Ted Budd. Um, I would have said. By the way, those are the three most North Carolina politicians' names I have ever heard in my life. Right. Say, say those three again. I love them. Okay. Ted Budd, uh -huh. Wiley Nickel, uh -huh. and Bo Hines. I love it. I love okay, it. Bo Hines is a trust fund baby and um, who has never worked a day in his life. And But, you know, he has those, those right-wing kind of, you know, talking points. So he's going to... Um, uh, it appeal to a certain demographic there. Um, however, the demographic of 13 has kind of changed in the last couple of years because we have had a significant influx of people into those particular areas right outside of Greensboro um, because that is, you know, kind of a, uh, it's about a 15 minute drive outside of Greensboro to work. Um, and also yesterday he got on television and said that um in response to a, a, a pro-choice or pro-life question that in cases of incest or rape, that we should establish a community review board to decide. Yeah, saw that. And, um, you know, that kind of stuff is not going to, th that's not even going to fly with church people. It's yeah. just not. Yeah. Um, so, 
But they were, it, it was a pretty tight, it was a 3% race back and forth, back and forth, back and forth the whole time. I really, and that's the, the area that I was talking to you about before where I was doing a lot of door knocking and I felt like I was getting different responses than I did in 2020. So I do think we're going to pick up 13. We'll pick up 14. That's the new district in Charlotte. So we net one seat for the house here, but I don't see us picking up that Senate seat. As always, your feedback in, from North Carolina is amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, I'm going to put you in touch with Zach, my political director, Renee. Uh, thank you for that feedback. That's really good insight that we wouldn't get anywhere else. It's part of why we love being a mic drop family is not only do I learn from you guys, but I get to share it with all of you, too, so that you get some of that really good information from, from Renee's in North Carolina's and, and Peggy in, in New York and Craig in uh, Arizona. Good stuff on the ground. Let's go ahead and go to Peggy in New York. I know you're deeply concerned about the Hopewell race. I think you probably should be. I think she'll be fine. But Democrats should not be anywhere in contention in the state of New York. But Peggy, how are you? How are things going? I'm good, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm hanging in there. Good. So that was my first question because Zeldin was within striking distance of Hopewell. I, I, I believe that is the case. I do. I do believe that the Republican is in striking distance from the Democrat running for governor. I think that the Democrats just got too flat-footed on the crime issue, didn't mm. see it coming, and by the time they picked up on it, the damage had been done. I can tell you, there's a lot of MAGA Republicans in New York and Long Island popping up all over the place. Yeah. Um, so I also want to tell you that I was phone banking for Beto the past few weeks, and. Two different on two different Saturdays, I, you always say folks vote sometimes against someone instead of for someone, and two undecided voters I used that approach with, and it worked. Okay, good. One was a military lady, and I, I work for the for the VA too. And once I, I I just said it, I said you know sometimes people vote against so against someone instead of for someone, and she just breathed a sigh of relief, and she said, yeah, I can't live with Greg Abbott another eight years, like. Well, that, that, you know, that, 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 that's a real great testament that this stuff works. And, and sometimes you only get that one call after about 100 of them. But it's worth it, isn't it? I got to tell you, you know, we talked a little bit more because we had a lot in common with the VA and veterans and stuff. And she brought it at the end of the conversation. She brought it right back. She said, you know, I have to tell you, I really appreciate what you said before. And I said, what do you mean? And she said that thing about voting against someone rather than for. Mm. Yeah. And it just resonated with her. And then the next week, and there was another caller that also. That resonated for with Thanks for sharing that with us because it brings a lot of kind of this abstract stuff that I'm talking to real life. It makes me feel like I'm not going insane. And I'm glad that you're doing putting in the work and turning those voters around. Um, you deserve that. You deserve to feel that and to know that. And thank you for for making democracy work, man. I mean, that's really what it's all about. That's really, really good news. I can tell you in every phone bank that I do, whether it's Beto or upstate New York 21 or in Arizona, I always share that. You know, there's always that meeting in the beginning of the uh, phone banking. I always share that. And as every well as you should. Yeah. That, that's the one you keep chasing. You keep chasing those phone calls. It puts up with the people hanging up on you or people saying, quit calling me or, I'm, or you know. Um, I get it. It's, it. It is not easy work. It takes the most committed people, but that's why you do it. Is what you just experienced, Peggy. Is it does happen? You are you are getting people to the polls. You are changing minds, and so good work. That's that's it's good to hear. That's what democracy is. That's that's literally that's that's what it's all about. 
To your credit as well, Mike. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Can I just uh, ask one more thing? Yeah, last question, then we're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap up on a Peggy question. Oh, okay. Well, this isn't really a, well, not about yeah, certain sure candidates. Sure but is. how concerned do we need to be if the Republicans take the House about Social Security getting turned around? Nah, yeah, Joe Biden ain't going to allow that to happen. Yeah, he can veto a bill like that, can he? Is that? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That wouldn't get past the Senate. That would that'd be a dumb move for Kevin McCarthy to put up a bunch with a bunch of dumb votes he's going to have to put up. If he puts his vote up on the, on the, on the, on the if he puts the Republican conference up on that vote and allows the Democrats to just go out and destroy them in the uh, 2024 elections and you know, good for all of us, shame on him. I, I don't, I can't imagine they actually try to put up that vote without a Republican president and a Republican Senate. Uh, so no, it's not going to happen for at least two years. I don't think it would ever happen if they got the majority back. There's just, there's just, there's no constituency for that. It's just bad politics. It's just, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm 64, so it's kind of on the front burner for me. Yeah, no, I get it. It's not, that's not going to happen. So they're not even going to vote on it. If they, if Kevin McCarthy puts up that vote, I mean, you know, Biden vetoes it, sends it back. It's just nuts. That's never going to happen. That's a fight that you want to have happen. So. That's what I thought. I don't want to be scared, but I thought, nah, but Biden will veto it. But I said, let me check with Mike so I make sure that I'm on the money about it. Well, from my perspective, you're on the right track, but you always have been. So thank you very much for that call. Guys, this has been a great episode of Mike Drop. I do like the new format. It's a little bit weird looking at myself uh, talking, but I'm hoping that I might be a little bit more engaging for you guys. Uh, I'll try to mix up the backgrounds a little bit more. We won't make any determinations right away on how frequently we'll do this in the post-election uh, era. But what I will say is there's probably going to be enough data dropping with enough things to talk about that it might be interesting for a few weeks after the election cycle. And then I'm just going to take your feedback from there. If we're not getting the audience engagement, you don't need me, right? We, you don't need Mike Madrid. I can go away. You guys can kind of reach out when you guys want to, and we'll kind of up it as it comes. I'm trying to be a benefit to you, a resource, at least from my perspective. If you find it valuable, I would appreciate it. Share this uh, episode with folks on social media. Until then, uh, we will get back to our regularly scheduled Wednesday night, the day after the election. Might pop in with a night before uh, to do something uh, the night before elections as we get down to it. Probably something quick and dirty just to kind of do some top line stuff of what to be looking at in the last few minutes of the election. If you want to do that, we'll do that. Um, and we'll go from there. Thank you guys so much for being part of this community, part of this family. Thanks for joining Mike Drop and we'll see you again next Wednesday.